0: Perfect, the most perfect album, final episode. For those of you who maybe you are just, I don't know why you would just be tuning in on this one, but let's say you are. Uh, What we are up to is we are taking the 27 amendments to the U.S. Constitution, these stodgy words that are so important, that define our rights as Americans, but they're so hard to read. No one knows what the hell they are. We didn't. Even us who have been reporting on court cases for three years. I had never read uh, Amendment 23. I just hadn't. I I couldn't have told you what it is. So, uh, to make a long story short, we decided to put together an album to reanimate these crucially important words through the power of music. And in the podcast, we're offering little liner notes to the songs. We're telling stories about these amendments, about where they came from, what they mean to us now. And we have two amendments left, two songs to go with each of those two amendments. And we will begin this final episode with the one I just mentioned.
1: 23rd Amendment, presidential vote for D.C.
0: W-A-S-H-I-N-G-T-O-N,
1: D.C. The district constituting the seat of government of the United States shall appoint in such manner as Congress may direct a number of electors of president and vice president equal to the whole number of senators and representatives in Congress to which the district would be entitled if if it were a state, if it were a state, if it were a state.
0: Okay, we arrive at Amendment 23. All those words, just a second ago, what they amount to is simply this. The 23rd Amendment gives the citizens of the District of Columbia, the citizens of D.C., the right to vote for president, which for me begs the question, D.C. didn't have the right to vote for president? What? The White House is in D.C., for God's sakes. How did it take us 23 amendments to give the citizens of D.C. the right to vote for president? Why, Julia Longoria? Why? And why didn't they have that right in the first place?
2: The short answer is it was kind of an accident. The reason why this ended up happening is the founders wanted to put the White House in a neutral place. They wanted it to be outside of state politics so you wouldn't run into a situation where, like, the Civil War breaks out. And the White House is in Alabama. Like, what what would Abraham Lincoln have done in that situation? We wanted to make sure the Capitol would operate from a peaceful place of neutrality. So the founders took corners of Maryland and Virginia and created a city that would be controlled by Congress. I don't think anyone meant to disenfranchise all of the nearly 700,000 citizens that live in D.C. But that's what ended up happening. Because D.C. is not a state, the Constitution didn't really address it. For instance, it didn't have electors in the Electoral College. Alexander Hamilton thought eventually we'd fix the representation problem in D.C., but that didn't come until 1961 with Amendment Number 23. It's
0: crazy it took that long. And, and did it actually
2: fix the problem in the end? No, actually. All the 23rd Amendment did is give the citizens of D.C. the right to vote for president, which, you know, is no small thing. But it left many things unanswered. It didn't really clarify what D.C. is constitutionally. Like, is it a city? Is it a state? The way our system of government works, you got to be part of a state to have senators. you got to be part of a state to have a vote in the House. D.C. is simultaneously not a state and not part of a bigger state. So it's definitely a thing, but it's like not enough of a thing to get it full representation in Congress.
3: You don't have a full democracy unless you're treated equally. And the district is not treated equally because we're the only jurisdiction that pay federal taxes uh, whose member cannot vote and whose member has no senators.
2: And that's, that's you. You can't vote, right? <laughs> that's me. This is Congresswoman Eleanor Holmes Norton. And I represent the District of Columbia, the nation's capital. She kind of sits at the center of the blind spot of the 23rd Amendment. She's the non-voting delegate from Washington, D.C. I'm called a delegate. I'm
3: just like my peers are called delegates. So, Sorry,
0: sorry. Uh, what what is a
3: non-voting
2: delegate? What is that? Uh, It's kind of what it sounds like. Like it's a congressperson who represents their constituents in Congress. Uh, They have an office in Congress, does all the things that normal congresspeople do. But when it comes time for the final vote on the floor, they don't have a vote.
0: They don't have a vote? isn't that the whole reason you elect a congressperson, so they can go to D.C. and vote on bills?
2: Yeah. (laughs) Over the years, there have been over 150 proposals to change this. Ideally, Eleanor wants to solve it by making D.C. the The 51st state of the United States. But it's become like this political thing where like D.C. is very blue as a city. It's also 47% African-American. What's happened over the years is that some Republicans have found ways to block Eleanor Holmes Norton's efforts to get representation. Some people say it would be unconstitutional. A
3: huge disappointment to me, but very frankly, I'm used to uphill battles, so you can get
2: yourself together. A thing to know about Eleanor Holmes Norton is that long before she was the congresswoman from D.C., she was a civil rights activist. I will not heal, sir! A student organizer with the Mississippi Freedom Summer in the 1960s. Equality is not an ingrained part of this society,
4: and I might add, of almost any other diverse society.
2: Amazon made a show about a lawsuit she won for young women researchers at Newsweek. The idea of women's equality uh, begins uh, yesterday. When she was a lawyer at the ACLU, she won a historic First Amendment case where she represented white nationalists. Sometimes I got to defend people who
3: would not defend me.
2: I mean, the woman is fascinating. She was the first woman to head the EEOC, the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, and wrote the first federal guidelines that helped make sexual harassment illegal under federal law.
1: And Eleanor Holmes Norton led the push so that Anita Hill could even be heard.
2: She was one of the people who demanded that Anita Hill be able to testify before the Senate. Like, she is a revolutionary. With that, I would like to invite Congresswoman Norton up. Thank you so much. Which is why I found it strange to see her in this position.
3: Thank you very, very much.
2: Why would she choose this job?
3: I christen this ship Potomac Water Taxi 2. Soon I hope to have a real name.
2: (laughs) The day we visited her, she was speaking at an event at The Wharf, a neighborhood on the water that she helped develop, to christen a new water taxi. May she bring fair winds. And I know politicians have to do that sort of thing. Less rain. But the juxtaposition of the revolutionary I read about... And good fortune... And this woman... All who sail her... Who I see smacking a staff against a yellow water taxi...
5: Yeah.
2: <gasps> it was confusing. You've been doing this for a long time, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Since 91. And I'm curious... Um, um, You've had a really varied career, you know. you have I, I watched the Amazon special that's loosely based on your life, and—and uh, and you were the first woman, you—you know, you know all this. I wonder why you made the turn, to be in this position where your hands are tied. Ironically, uh, my hands aren't tied in the least.
3: I—I I can't do the final vote, but by the time the final vote comes in the house, it's a done deal. So I have to—I have to do the work ahead of time, which is what every member, even those who have the vote, uh, have to do.
2: What made things even more confusing is that she insisted that even though she cannot vote, her job is no different than any of her colleagues.
3: I go to the House floor like everybody else. I work in committee where most of the work is, is being done. I go and talk to, to members of the Senate.
2: And, and it kept coming up. She kept harping on that point. My
3: job is no different. Frankly, I do what everybody else does if you want to get a bill passed. At one point,
2: uh, she got really upset with us. This is why I don't like this.
3: Well, I and I more. They just a moment.
2: Because we made the mistake of comparing the situation of D.C. to the territories, which also don't have voting representation in Congress, Places like Puerto Rico and Guam. These are completely different places. It seemed almost like an insult to her to ask questions about this thing which seems so obviously true.
3: In every single respect, except not having the final vote on the House floor, we are a state.
2: What was that?
1: What do you think that was? The
2: irony of this comes out almost cartoonishly when uh, the press person that we talked to was in the room, Ben. He had told us that there was this buzzer that goes off in the office when there's a vote on the House floor. Um, ben was telling us about a sound that happens when there's a vote or something like that. No, there was
3: no vote. You know.
2: But what is that? I don't know what that is. What is what?
3: Now now there's a vote.
1: <laughs>
3: when you hear the bell, you know there's a vote and this. It warns you that you have 15 minutes to go to the floor. Or it may signal uh, whether it's a vote on the rule or on something else.
2: So that is supposed to signal like,
3: get your butt over there kind of thing? To go over it, to it, the floor? It, it does mean that uh, if you have a vote, you should be preparing to go to vote, yes.
2: And for you, what is that what does that signal to you or how does that beep make you feel? Well, th-
3: that may mean I've been on the floor already to discuss the bill. I can discuss any bill, including bills I can't vote on, which is which is most bills, which are all bills. Um, that doesn't keep you from going to the floor. Speak on a bill. I'll be going to the floor to speak on the FAA bill where I have been
2: able to... I didn't know how to make sense of this irony. This woman, who's been representing disempowered people all her life, she's almost choosing to be in a role with virtually no power, and then insisting in these moments that she's not disempowered at all. If I were going to demand change, it seems like I would shout from the rooftops that I don't have a vote, that my job is completely different, that I'm completely disempowered. But in these moments, Eleanor Holmes Norton had almost this willful denial of the miserable situation that D.C. finds itself in. I only had about 15 minutes with Congresswoman Norton, and I went home from D.C. totally baffled by the interaction. So I started looking back at her speeches and her writings, deep, deep cuts on C-SPAN. And I found this one panel from 1987 at the Sag Harbor Initiative. Right it was called The Retreat from Equality.
4: Will not go back on.
2: And it clarified things for me. I, I, I do want to say something about the
4: constitutional myth. Um, Thurgood, Marshall, uh, remind, Thurgood, Marshall a, Thur, Thurgood Marshall did a great service to the country in remind Thurgood Marshall did a Thurgood Marshall did a great service to the country in reminding it that that revisionist history is very un-American and reminding us of the evolution of our own constitution. But it is very important that myths not be associated only with negative aspects. American life. No society continues to grow without its own powerful myths. One of the only remaining powerful myths in American society with all of our diversity is the myth of the Constitution. The myth that all of us somehow have bought in whatever our religious or ethnic or political background into that wonderful, powerful myth. Uh, the fact that that myth has not always been real or true is quite beside the point. The myth of God is true for those who believe in God. Even when there is war and famine and pestilence, it is the myth that makes people live through the pestilence so that they can, they can indeed live full lives once again. The myth of the Constitution is in a very real sense the handiwork of black people who enjoyed it least when there was nothing but racism. They believed those words. Because they believed them, they ultimately made them live. Black people therefore uh, have to be at the forefront of those who celebrate the Constitution, not because it is perfect, but because they have made it more perfect. One of the worst things we could do in a time when so little brings us together is to try to debunk or destroy the one powerful myth that continues to animate the society, the myth of the great American constitution which has been copied all over the world and which continues to drive us to a more perfect
2: society. In some ways, I think Eleanor Holmes Norton kind of stands in for D.C. She lives in a state of suspended denial in order to keep fighting. If she or Black people or women or any of the people who are not in the original We the People, if we ever succumbed to our powerlessness, gave up, it would all be over. But if Eleanor Holmes Norton keeps believing in the Constitution, believing in the myth that it tells us, the myth of her own power despite the odds, despite even the reality of her situation, maybe she can make her reality match the myth. I mean, hey, we got the 23rd Amendment, didn't we?
0: Julia Longoria with that liner note for the 23rd Amendment. As for the album, we asked students at Duke Ellington School of the Arts to make a song for us about the 23rd Amendment. This song was written and arranged by their teacher, Mark Meadows. They performed it in the classroom. And by the way, you can see a video of this performance, uh, and it's great at themostperfectalbum.org. Here it is. A one, two. A one, two. A one, two. Duke Ellington School of the Arts. That was sort of an edited version of a song they put together for us for the Twenty Third Amendment. You can hear the entire thing and see the entire thing as well at themostperfectalbum.org. I'm Jad Umran We will return in a minute.
5: Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Backed by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash more perfect. netsuite.com slash more perfect. Carnegie Hall has welcomed a dizzying array of performers.
1: To have Andy Kaufman, Frank Zappa, and Burkett Nielsen and Horowitz on the same stage... It becomes this kaleidoscope of our history.
0: I'm Jessica Vosk. Join me for the new podcast, If This Hall Could Talk. It's all about our unique cultural history, as witnessed by one of New York's most beloved institutions, Carnegie Hall.
5: Listen now, wherever you get podcasts.
0: This is More Perfect. I'm Jad Abumrad. Okay, so here we are. At the finish line, the very last of the amendments to the U.S. Constitution, 27. When we started this project, most of us here at More Perfect didn't know how many amendments there were, or exactly what each of them meant. Now we do. But more importantly, we picked the name 27. We included the number in the name, 27, the most perfect album, because while we were making it, we realized that this project is a kind of time capsule. Right now, there are 27 amendments, but one day, there'll be 28, then 29, because clearly we have not yet gotten to that more perfect union, and each one of these amendments represents a time when we try to fix something in ourselves. This project is a testament, a love letter, really, to that willingness to change. We're thinking of this album as sort of an emotional musical snapshot of who we are as a nation right now and who it is we're trying to become. So it's fitting that our last liner note is its short, and it's really about that. Kevin Devine, the artist who uh, wrote about the 27th Amendment for us, tells the story of one guy who spent 10 years trying to get two-thirds of both houses, three-quarters of the states, to ratify an amendment that had been written almost 200 years earlier.
1: So I got the 27th Amendment for this uh, project. 27th Amendment. Congressional Compensation. No law varying the compensation for the services of the senators and representatives shall take effect until an election of representatives shall have intervened. It just basically says the Congress can't give itself a raise in, in its sitting term. Which just a sound, sensible thing. It was apparently brought forth in 1789 and then not ratified until 1992, which is by 190 years or something, the longest margin. Um, And the story, the people I was interested in were this college kid in the early 80s who writes a paper saying that he believes that it could still be ratified and his teacher gives him a seat and tells him like there's no way that could be true and then this guy kind of makes it like his I don't know, he kind of like bangs a drum about it for 10 years life, It gets resurrected and eventually 38th state to vote to ratify was Michigan the house In his speech, the guy who banged the gavel and made it so, said that uh, some things take a year around here, but others take a little more like 200, and I kind of bastardized that for the first line of the song, because I thought it was a really good entry point, and I got a kick out of it as a lifelong Northeasterner family here in Jersey. Jersey was in line to beat the ratifying vote, but Michigan took it out of their hands. So one more bridesmaid moment for my people in New Jersey. Quite the bride. Um. So that's it. 27th past
0: Kevin Devine with the 27th, closing out the most perfect album. Okay, before we go, if 27 is just a moment in time, and I mean, my God, it's not the most exciting of the amendments. Clearly there are more to come. There must be more to come. We need more. Let's just ponder for a second as we go out. What will be twenty eight?
3: We all know we need a 28th, 28th
1: amendment.
0: amendment to the constitution. It's time
1: for the 28th amendment. Because of this election I have I'm now proposing a 28th amendment. The 28th amendment. An amendment to establish term limits for members of Congress. A constitutional amendment to undo Citizens United. To win this 28th amendment Require a balanced but reasonable limits on election spending. The
3: American people already believe that corporate special interests and their lobbyists run the show around
4: here. Term limits for
0: Congress need to become the 28th Amendment. It's two terms for senators, three terms for members of the House.
3: Now the court says, "Hey, all bets are off, and it's open season." Our election. Whatever it on sale. ends
0: up being, assuming it happens in our lifetimes, we will add a song to the album. Maybe make a whole new album. Until then, More Perfect is produced by me, Jad Abumrad, Susie Lechtenberg, Julia Longoria, Kelly Prime, Sara Kari, and Alex Overington with help from Ellie Mistal, Michelle Harris, and David Gable. All truly amazing people. I could not be more grateful to them all, including Nora Keller for her help making our record 27 The Most Perfect Album, and of course Jeffrey Wright for reading the amendments for us. Oh, and of course, to all the musicians that took part, I I have no words. You guys made this thing a reality. Thank you from all of us here. You can listen to all of the songs, as well as read funny short essays, uh, and also see some crazy music videos that we made at themostperfectalbum.org. Thank you all for listening, for riding on this journey with us. We will see you soon.